it's, it's interesting because AI is, is powerful and I don't think the answer is to say we're not going to use AI because it's bad. It's not that AI is bad, it's that is it being ethically used? Um, I don't think I know the answer yet. on the show today is Mark Harding. Mark is the CTO of Minds.com. Minds is an open source social network striving to respect users' privacy and has blockchain integration to reward users for using the network. And I will have a link in the show notes all about Minds. Mark, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So before we get into what you're doing right now with Minds and how you ended up there, I wanted to kind of lay the groundwork as sort of a base understanding of how that journey took place. So when you were younger, do you remember technology always being something that you were interested in and that you wanted to get involved in? Yeah, I think ever since I was, um, you know, probably 12 years old, I was um, playing around on my parents' computers, usually breaking it. Um, <laughs> I just remember I was obsessed with trying to figure out how all the internet cafes, which probably don't exist anymore, but they were like a big thing when I was... When I was younger. Um, how they worked it always fascinated me, and I, I, I remember completely breaking my parents' computer trying to trying to set internet cafe up. Um, you know, that's when you learn about how servers work because if you don't have a server, then uh, <laughs> you just have the client side. Um, so that's kind of where the, the first book I think I uh, I made was um, when I was 12 years old. Um, and then from then, it was just kind of playing around at school. Um, I think the first programming language was PHP, which I still use every day. Um, and just actually making social network, which turned into uh, what still powers most of minds. Um, so we were based off a framework called Elk, uh, which is a, um, a, a pluggable uh, social networking platform. It, it doesn't scale particularly well, um, it, but it, it's easy for people to get get running. It's a simple PHP backend, MySQL server, um, and I think at the time it was Apache, but I, I'm pretty sure um, the project runs on N Nginx now. Um, so most of the stuff that we've done with Minds since is, is kind of tearing out all the stuff that doesn't scale uh, and bringing in uh, a more powerful database like Cassandra, um, and uh, just just making it as horizontally scalable as as we can with with no single point of failure. That, that's the key thing that we we try and go for. Do you happen to remember? Because people always are interested in like that the first computer that somebody used. Do you happen mm -hmm. to remember what that was? Like you said, it was your parents' computer, but like what it had in it, or was it just a box that sat in the corner that you played with? Uh, I, yeah, I mean, it was it's one of, you know before the ages of flat screens, so one of those huge big, um, huge big screens with a massive big tower that that probably has less power than your smartphone has now. Um, it's probably a Dell or something like that. I, I can't remember too much. It, that wasn't really a, a big thing at the time. But I like the first my first laptop that I got when I felt like I was growing up, probably when I was like fourteen, was. Uh, what was a Dell um, kind of a big chunky thing that you had to you had to you couldn't get on wi the wireless with it you had to you had to have an extra big wireless dongle that plugged in um, <laughs> which is uh, which is but it, it was fun um, and that that's kind of where most 
I mean, I probably if I get it out now, there's probably all sorts of old code I wrote when I was, when I was younger that, that would be fun to to look back at. And, and then I was, yeah, just a fair warning. I've done that myself, yeah. and then looked at the old stuff I've written and went, oh, oh, wow. I thought that was gonna. Oh, okay. Let's put that. Let's put that away again. Yeah, HTML templates and PHP files. Probably lots of that going on, which is a big no-no. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that that would be fun. <laughs> you said you started with PHP. Mm -hmm. um, did your did your language journey evolve from there, or are you pretty much just stuck with that core set of languages that you learned initially? Uh, I think PHP has kind of grown uh, along with with myself as well because when i first started php was i mean that's kind of why it has pretty much a bad breath is because lots of people wrote a lot of bad code on it and not particularly architected well um but i think since then uh, php has become much more of a solid language that has standards and um, has you know return types and, and scala types and it, it, it if you're doing object-oriented PHP, then it's arguably better than um, most of the other alternatives out there, in, in my opinion, because um, it, it's flexible, but it also, it's very easy to deploy, and it, it's it's reasonably scalable. Um, I mean, you compare it to, to Node, which was only like four years ago, everyone was was on the bandwagon of move over to Node because it's so fast. I mean, you know, I, I really know anyone who's running Node in kind of largely scalable production systems for, for like various microservices, I think people are using it, but for entire applications, um, it's just, it just doesn't have the kind of, you know, beef that, that PHP can offer. Yeah. And your dependency tree when you use node becomes absolutely horrid. Yeah. Most of the, what surprised me with most of the bandwidth of the internet is NPM install, uh, right. downloads. <laughs> So what would you say was the first time that you heard about open source and started to, to get an idea of what it was? Um, I Probably Elg. Um, the, the stack that we're based off, um, it gave me first kind of entry into what open source was. And it's like, wow, all these people are just giving this code out for free. Um, it, and that that's probably if it wasn't for open source, then it, it'd be very difficult to be, um, it, well, for mine to be where it's at, but also for, for me to be um as a developer because it, otherwise you'd have to have all sorts of expensive licenses to microsoft products and and things like that which you know if, if it's not kind of accessible to to everyday person when, when you haven't spent a fortune like that or you get locked into all kinds of horribly written um ides and things like that um so uh, yeah I, I think that that's probably um Definitely, the PHP world is is because there's just so much so much out there. And then uh, getting on a, a little bit on is all the Angular frameworks um, and and then React and, and, and things like that. Of just um, you know when then you figure out GitLab and you just Stack Overflow. You know it's not open source. Gives you a lot of answers and a lot of links to um, to to what's the best way of solving the problem. And then someone's probably already written the code, and if you don't like the way they wrote it, then at least you can use it as a basis for you know writing your own solution from it. Yeah, it's one of the things that I've always loved about open source. I mean, obviously, there's the the fact that the software is there. I can actually get the code. I can look at it. But the kind of the open collaborative community around it mm -hmm. that kind of builds on that, you know, no one of us is as smart as all of us. Yeah. And that iterative development of everybody can pitch in and eventually we end up with something that's far better than what one person would have done on their own. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's also kind of like it's, it's 
self-inspiring as well. Like you figure out someone else, like sees what some, someone's done. And then uh, you're like, well, you know, I didn't think of that. Now I can do this. And then it just kind of snowballs into something um, that the initial concept just ne would never even have uh, never even dreamed of. So would you say that there are any people in particular that kind of helped mold your views of open source or did, was it literally just the software itself and having the access in the larger community? So there's the, the open source of like all the free code out there, which I think is um, how, how you probably initially see it. And then I, I remember learning about Richard Stallman um, and going to a lecture of his um, out, in, out in New York and learning the difference between open source and free software, which is, which is a big, big eye opener. It's like the it can be open source, but you're not necessarily allowed to use it, which is one of my big bugbears of going through GitLab. You see, even if it's like a Helm chart or something, you go through and you you see it, and you're like, wow, I I want to use this, and like you can't unsee it once you've seen it on GitLab, and then it, like everything you're doing, you just, it's it's kind of. So then you end up having to like email the original creator, and then every, pretty much every time we've done that, though they've they've been very um, accommodating and actually just stick an MIT license on or something like that, so it can be used. But yeah, it, it's it's tempting to to just kind of take the code, even if it's if it's not um, being properly licensed, which obviously you can't do. So you kind of have to unsee what you've seen, um, which, which is very difficult. <laughs> yeah, so free free software. Um, being actually the licenses dictate how the um, how the software can be how, how can be used, and then the, the AGPL v three always encourages you to make open source code because then you don't have the worry that some kind of big horrible company is going to come along and just use your code without you getting any credit uh, because they would they would if they want to use the the software they can't just take and bulk of what you've done and make it proprietary code they have to then open source everything else that goes along with that which is um, which is really appealing. So that kind of leads us into Minds, um, because obviously you guys use open source. Mm -hmm. uh, so but before we get into how you guys are, are doing that, what kind of led you to ending up at Minds? So I was using Elg um, and, and making lots of different plugins, um, like, like a mobile view for, for the mobile browser that I have a lot of people's sites to render, and a mobile device. And I also think the other one was notifications which is you know pretty big for a social network to have but what was lacking on the the l system so they they both of those got in like the top 10 plugins on on their community site and then you know people are like you know we can't code but we want we want to like use what you've done and we want to change to this and then to end up kind of just building out this this kind of little uh, you know business and and so that, that's how I, I got in touch with Minds. Um, I think it was only a six-month-old company at the time, um, but they, they were starting to use Elg and, and wanted more things customizing. And then the scope keeps getting bigger and bigger, and um, you know, probably like we're nearly nearly ten years on, and uh, still making those tweaks. <laughs> with respect to Minds, how important is open source? For, for like the core of, of the business and what you guys believe in? Because there's a lot of companies that love open source because, hey, that's free stuff we can use. We don't have to pay for it. We can just take it and run with it and we can make oodles of money on it. Mm -hmm. But they don't really believe in open source. They don't really understand it. For them, it's just a commodity they can get at no price to use. So for you guys, how, how does your relationship with open source, what, well, how does that look? What is, how does that work? So there's a few aspects. Uh, I think the most important is being able to provide the transparency 
to the users that, hey, we can prove that we're not doing all this horrible stuff with your data and we're not putting all these horrible tracking things in. We've not got big back doors into wherever because you can look at the code and you can see, see how it works. And if you really don't like what we started to do, then you can take all the code, all the Terraform scripts, and you can actually deploy it yourself. And you can, you know, you can start paying for servers. Um, ultimately, actually, where we want to get to is that we don't control any of the servers anymore. Um, it's this decentral, totally decentralized environment. That's probably for another uh, podcast going into the, the world of decentralization. Uh, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a big minefield. But yeah, it's a transparency um, and not providing lock-in to the users is is a big one. Um, even if they can't understand the code themselves, it's about being able to, um, you know, you, you can find another developer who you can say, well, can you audit this for us and, 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 and tell me, is it is it doing what they're saying it's doing? It provides that, that option to people. So then the other aspect is actually being able to contribute back to the open source ecosystem. So we're not just takers, um, we're, we're, we're givers as, as well. Um, and, and everything we do is, is, is out there um, for, um, for people to, to, to use, uh, right down to the deployment, deployment scripts. Um, that we, we, try and, we try and be as transparent both as a company, very transparent with the code, um, with our roadmap, um, and we're just giving giving all the code back and also accepting contributions as well from the the community um it's a if there's this bug that's that's annoying annoying someone i mean you you can always submit a bug report to some of the other big big companies but um it's probably much more fun to actually be able to submit a merge request that fixes it um and so, so it gives the everyday person a chance to you know contribute mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the being able to actually fix things is one of the key points that I love because there's there's commercial software that I use. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's been bugs that have existed for like the last five or six versions. And I keep filing the request of like, hey, can, can you fix this? And oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll see if we can get to that. And then the next version comes out and it's not fixed. And then rinse and repeat. It's like, I would fix this for you. But I can't. Yeah. So I hope one day you guys actually get around to fixing this really annoying thing over here. Whereas with open source, I could look at it and go, okay, yeah, that's why that's happening. This is the problem. Let me send in the PR. Now, granted, they may not take it, but that's a whole lot closer to a company going, oh, yeah, this works. Somebody's already done the effort. It doesn't require any time on our part to actually write it all out. Um, so it's kind of surprises me that a lot of companies haven't, even if only mildly kind of embraced that because they get to in a way outsource a lot of their effort to the community and that obviously benefits them in the long run mm -hmm. yeah and and also you've seen some companies that even they so go going back to the open source um first free software argument that um we were talking about earlier um you look at Elasticsearch, who have for years been contributing um, open source, free open source software. Now, um, not liking that their software is being used by um, by Amazon. So, rather than um, just kind of using a, a license like AGPLv3, they, they've gone for this kind of almost proprietary esque um, open source license, which is so it's almost like turning their backs on the open source world, um, which is. Which isn't great. Uh, it, it's it's not a not a positive positive step. Um, but 
Amazon, you know, even though they, they can be a bit a bit greedy, um, they've, they've come out with Open Distro and, and said, we're going to have an Apache licensed uh, system here and everything is going to be free and available to use. Um, I think it would be great if the entire Amazon stack was uh, was open source. That then we could see see how all those um, AI algorithms work. How they, how they know mm-hmm. how they know what you want to buy and, and get it delivered to your doorstep the same day. But it's it's interesting. Sometimes you wonder, like, is it they're trying to hide stuff? Is is the is, is the stuff in the code they don't want us to see, or is it purely about intellectual property? And when it comes to the, I mean, there's licenses out there, like the AGPL V3 I was talking about, which protects the intellectual property. So why, why not, why not release release the, the stack? Um, so on the uh, transparency slash decentralized, and I, I agree. We're, well, let's not get too deep into <laughs> that. Let's hold that for another conversation. You guys obviously are pro crypto <laughs> because you guys have rolled your your own token which if I, and if i'm wrong correct me but that is a erc20 on ethereum correct yes that's correct okay so why the choice of going that route of making that token instead of just rolling your own currency of some kind that's just a field in the database that you guys process with kind of deposit and withdrawal to regular currency because there's a lot of sites that uh, go that route and just roll it their own so that's how we started um we used to have a system called points which was um you know in internal virtual currency um people would get um get points for just pressing the vote icon or commenting uh, which is very similar to how it works today but what we decided to do was go with the erc20 token which would allow us to move all those tokens onto the blockchain and that means that users are then completely in control of their tokens. They're not on our, our servers at all. And you can actually use these tokens on other mines, either other mines deployments or down the line to do to do other things with the tokens. Um, I mean, in the decentralized world, um, using the tokens for either ads, ad network boosts or um, other decentralized services that could be required like where does your username exist in a decentralized world and if it's stored somewhere um how do you how how's it funded is it is it funded by people owning tokens that they they can then resell on um do they do they stake them uh, so so that that's that's another use case of of the tokens primarily what they're used for is for the ad network on the site so rather than um, selling advertising spots in replace of people's data, uh, we we do it in place of tokens, and you can either buy those tokens or you can earn the tokens from from um, getting rewards on your content. Now, I don't, I'm not expecting you to go into uh, you know secret stuff that you guys are working on in the back end. Uh, so feel free not to there's, answer. There's this, not a lot of you guys secrets. Have, well, I'm just wondering if you if you guys have further kind of layer two. Uh, aspirations for doing more on the blockchain? Yeah, so currently we have our own, because the gas fees are so high on the blockchain side, uh, we have to have our own off-chain solution, which is the mm-hmm. ledger on the on the back end, um, and then they can be converted into the RC20 tokens when people withdraw. Um, we're looking at alternatives. Uh, scale is is one. We, we've, been, we've been working with those guys. Uh, that we're looking at optimistic as well. 
it's we we kind of got past the initial hurdle of people getting their Web3 wallets. That was an initial obstacle. Now we can start signing things, and users are getting familiar with what crypto signing is. That makes the off-chain solution a lot easier, um, and it makes bridging between either scale or optimistic and the um, on-chain Ethereum a lot easier. So I think in the next, probably in the next quarter, we'll have some updates on how the layer two um, sidechain, off-chain, whatever it will be, um, is going to work. Um, so that's more of the, the token side. But we're also looking at other decentralized feed, news feed options as well. Um, and a pro in the next, hopefully in the next six months to a year, we'll have a working. I mean, we, we, have, we have prototypes, but something that is more than a prototype uh, is, is where we want to get to. The, the biggest obstacles we've got right now is the relaying of the data. Um, there's still some issues with IPFS for, from the consumer side. I think when you're dealing with it from the servers, um, it, it, it's a lot better. But we're dealing with end users here. Um, and de the decentralized world can't just be for hip crypto kids. It's got to it's gotta work for graying oldies as well. Um, who who just got this first smartphone? So we've, <laughs> we've got to pa pass the grandparent test. Yeah, the user side is extremely important because it doesn't matter how much of a beautiful technical solution you have, if it's difficult for people to use, they're not going to use it. Yeah, and it's already even though we think we probably made um, you know a, some some way with people getting their MetaMask set up for the signing, that's probably still completely foreign to a lot of people. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, I think we're getting there. So back on the, the open source side of things, because in your, when you were talking previously, you brought up, um, with Amazon and the AI and all, all the algorithms and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, in another show I do, we went into, you know, the, the, the AI issue and the fact that the algorithms aren't open They're you know, we don't know what they're doing. Do you think as far as just industry wide, that's going to be a challenge for open source because even if you distribute a model, there's only so much you can do with that model to understand how it came to be, how it was built um, versus like regular code. Obviously I can go in and all the little itty bitty details, mm -hmm. but without having the data set that a model was derived from, there's going to be limited inferences that I can make to understand what's going on. Exactly. So, so it, there's two parts. It's, it's how the AI is programmed and the training sets as well. So that gets into the not open source, but open data world. Where does the data come from? Um, and I don't know if there is anything that exists right now, but if there's some kind of um, test case that can be ran, um, you know, like some kind of, we have on, on binary downloads, you can have an MD5 sharp hash or whatever. If you can have some kind of hash to prove that the data set works with the AI system, then I think that would at least be some kind of um, you know validation. But is this is this how it works? Um, it's it's interesting because AI is is powerful, and I don't think the answer is to say we're not going to use AI because it's bad. It's not that AI is bad. 
bad, it's that is it being ethically used? Um, I don't think I know the answer yet um, for how, how AI can be used ethically. I, I think both, having both the open data and the open source aspect is where we need to get to. But then you have the third thing that comes in, which is the privacy of the open data. Um, and how do you still respect people's privacy and have all the data open? Um, I guess you can start to anonymize the data, but you know, it's anonymized until it's not. Um, so that, that's going to definitely be something to watch over the next few years. Yeah, it's been something that I've kind of been wrestling around with in my head because you know the way I've always used it is just like regular software. Um, AI, it's kind of agnostic. It can be used for good or it can be used for bad. Mm-hmm. On the open source side of software, being able to see the code kind of gives us the ability to go, okay, we know what's going on. We know how it's working. We can be sure that there's nothing shady going on while this runs. But I haven't seen any really direction towards that on the AI side. I know the, the US government put out a couple of calls for research for ways to detect if you know having a, a model at the end, you could detect if there was malicious intent during its training. Mm-hmm. That started about five years ago and then quickly went silent and all mentions of it disappeared. So who knows where that is? <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't seen much in that kind of a- aspect in the open source world or really in the academic world of what can we really pull apart here to understand because these things are so powerful. Even if someone didn't have malicious intent when they were designing it, things can still go wrong and it would be beneficial if we had a way to understand that. Because at the end of the day, I think most people's view is that we're building stuff to help people and we don't want any negative outcomes to come from that. Mm-hmm. So on kind of on that tangent, what are things that you see being developed right now or being improved in the open source or the Linux world that gets you really encouraged for what the future will hold. On the AI front or just Or in, just on, on open source front in general? I think the, the cloud native is probably the biggest thing that I am um, excited about um, in the open source world. It's, I think the in the last few years, the way that Kubernetes has just become the rock that everything can be, like, can be built on. And Kubernetes can be put anywhere as well. You're not locked into anything. Um, you can run Kubernetes on your local machine. But the way that applications, entire ecosystem of applications, can be deployed in single command is um, very exciting. Um, so the way that we can imp- integrate with multiple different services, um, all with a common interface, um, is, is, is huge. And it used to be such a pain to deploy a database and you'd have to sit in a dark corner of a room and, and key everything out and then still worry that something wasn't correctly tuned. And did you download? I mean, I don't miss the days of running apt-get update and the horrible things that would go wrong if uh, it was out of date by a few months. Uh, now you can deploy a database with a single command um, for a Helm shop and and it works, and you know that everyone else is running it with only very slight differences because of the, the, the way it's architected. Um, I think that is that's one of the coolest things to come out. The other, the other is um, is streams, which is I mean they've been going for for a good few years now, um, but just kind of event driven um, 
systems is for a social media site is everything's an event. Everything is triggered off someone pressing something or entering a key somewhere. So pressing the vote icon can rebuild all the suggestions. Um, the fact that you can have multiple things running in parallel and streams running at their own pace, um, subscribing to that is is another a huge thing that that's changing the way we, we think about we think about software. Okay, so to flip that question then kind of on its head, what are things that you think we as the community of developers and of open source community members should be focused on that we aren't focused on? Like, do you see problems ahead that we should be kind of getting ahead of the ball on? I think it's still tempting for us to lose perspective on how our, how our data is being used. Um, it's okay to have the code open to prove you're not spying on people, but people are just giving away data en masse, um, especially in coronavirus world. Um, in the UK, everyone's got these the apps to check in that you've been in restaurants and whatever. And it's just becoming a norm that you're telling whoever, whether they're an authority or uh, you know the restaurant chain itself, that you're there. Uh, it's like it's not even business. I mean, parents being used for um, you know to, for a pandemic, but it's not really. There's there's not any data coming out about how many people have been. Uh, how, how many coronavirus cases have been stopped from people checking in at restaurants and and given their geolocation connected to all their other kind of um, biometric data? Um, and people are just doing it without thinking about it. Um, so there's there's not much debate there. Um, so I, I think we just, as developers and as users, just need to, it, it's more about what a privacy policy says, because no one reads a privacy policy. Um, it's about building tools that respect privacy first, and also not um, thinking about what is being used. Um, so I, I think there's still, in, in privacy, a lot, a lot we can do. I think that GDPR has made privacy a lot more passive um, in a negative way. I think it's, it's caused more problems than it's solved, because now everyone is clicking away to give. Um, you probably don't see them and on, from if you're browsing sites from the US, but if you're in the UK or the EU, every website you go to has this big overlay with this kind of privacy policy. And it's like, hey, opt in, um, give us this, give us this, we'll, we'll do this. And everyone, just because it's a big button there, they just want to get rid of it. They don't read anything that's going on. They just say, yeah, yeah, have everything about me. Um, so, so it's caused this opt-in to people giving their privacy away without people really wanting to opt-in. Um, and at least before it was, um, you know, it, it, people weren't actively giving all that information away. It was, it was more of a sideline thing. And now, now they have consent to be, uh, to be doing this that they didn't have before. So that's, uh, that's worrying. And then there's the AI, um, like we were talking about, we've already touched on is, is validating how the AI is used, but that's partially tied back to the privacy, privacy argument, argument as well. Um, I also think that even though, <laughs> even though I, I think open source is, I, I, we use open source every day, write open source software and put it out there. Every single piece of open source software that I write is done on a MacBook Pro, which isn't great. It's done on a MacBook Pro because it works, and it works very well, and I know that I'm not going to have any problems with it, and they're super powerful. Um, I wish there was an, a, an open source computer that was better than a MacBook Pro, um, but <laughs> that's that's why I'm, I'm stuck with it. Um, I just, you need something reliable. You, you can't have, you can't spend half your day 
fixing your uh, your machine because uh, you, you have to spend the day getting everything that needs to be done. So yeah, I, I think that's the other thing developers can do is um, is, is make a better MacBook Pro. <laughs> I'll make a few calls, see if I can I can get that worked out. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, the privacy issue is is an important one, and I I have a friend uh, in France who kind of rages about the GPDR because while they they like it, they think it's good. They actually think it had the worst, like the opposite effect, where now people because they're so annoyed by that button mm-hmm. that they don't even really consider it now. But now they're like willingly giving authorization where before they weren't, it was just being taken. Now they're basically saying, yeah, sure, here, have it. Yeah, it's like, it's almost like a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. It's like they have this nice thing. It's like, oh, you know, opt in here. It's like they think they're getting a reward. They don't realize that they're, they're sacrificing their, um, their privacy. Uh, it's, I, 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 just, I think, yeah, it, it has had the, the opposite effect of what it was supposed to do. It was supposed to make sites um, not opt people in. But yeah, people right. are just going, I'll, I'll get rid of it. Um, and not, not knowing what they're even opting into. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that I see happening more and more in the US at least is that sites now are using anti ad blocker blockers. So if you have an ad blocker, when you go to the site, it notifies you that you're running an ad blocker. <laughs> and if you want to view the site, you have to turn your ad blocker off and they give you itemized instructions on exactly how to do mm-hmm. that. It's like, Hmm. Okay. That's, that's like, I realize you're trying to make money, but at the same time, that's getting, uh, the other thing I see is that there's a bunch of sites that have started doing it. Now, thankfully there's been kind of a backlash on it where when you first load the site, there's a drop that happens over the entire site and overlay. And there's a thing that where you have to enable to allow the site to send notifications to you. Ah. And if you don't, you can never get to the site. That's the other thing that, that happened where I'm like, oh, I don't like that at all. Yeah. One of the yeah. things that I try to express to people is even if you really like the person who is running the site and you think they're an upstanding person, you don't know who the downstream consumer of that data is. I mean, companies get bought and sold all the time. Mm-hmm. And there's been the obvious recent issue with Freenode where the, the the current owner of it now, peop, the, a lot of the staff were like, well, we don't really trust what his intentions are with all the user data. So we're just not going to be a part of that. Um, and I know there's the there's the example in, I, th- I think it was Belgium during World War II that created a basically a religious list of everyone in the country so that if someone died and they didn't have family, they could make sure that that person got the burial that they wanted according to their religious beliefs. And I mean, that sounds great. It sounds like a wonderful idea which the Germans really were appreciative of when they rolled through and then they got hold of that data. Mm-hmm. So it's not just who you're giving the data to, but it's who is going to own that down the road. And there's no way for anybody to know. And do you want that person having all your data that you gave? Yeah, it's it's kind of sovereignty over the data. Um, and it, it, the, the, the UK is trying to bring in, I think they've got a little bit soft on it now because there was a bit of a backlash, but vaccine passports and using, guess what, the same app that you were using to check into all these restaurants um, for the, the NHS um, track and trace. And then the, this is not going to just be a vaccine passport. It was it was going to be have all your um, yeah, ethnicity, as you're just talking about, um, medical background. Um, and then who knows, the government's already got that. What else? Have you, got? you know, how much tax you paid last year? And, and then, uh, you know, criminal records, whatever. Suddenly everything on your phone uh, determines on when you can start going to the restaurant um, because, you know, you're, you're, you're a bad person or, or whatever. 
Um, so it, it's, and that's pressure coming from the people who are making the laws themselves, these privacy laws. So what hope does, it, it almost like gives a green light to all the other tech companies, um, Amazon or whatever, to be doing the same things. Um, it's actually got, the UK app got rejected from Apple for privacy breaches. I mean, how does that happen? I mean, sure, surely it should be the other way around. Uh, but uh, it, it's bad when, um, yeah, Apple is having to be the arbiter of what's privacy um, or not. Yeah, and of course, they're going to make decisions based on what's best for their bottom line at the current time in the current climate. Uh-huh. Uh, it's interesting you bring up the the issue about the vaccine passport and, and how far that could get extended and have repercussions because that's... From what I've read, that's actually what China is doing um, with their social credit system. Uh, is if you go below a certain, like a certain level, like oh well, you can't you can't get on train anymore. Well, I, I'm 200 miles from where I live. Uh, well, you need to do something to boost your score up so that then you can buy the tickets to use and use the train. Like yeah, it's like okay, you, 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 at a, at a um, traffic light, if you if you cross the road um, when they want to still a red light, um, you know you, you get some points off. He's a dangerous person. Boost his um, health insurance. Uh, so it's, it, it, it's a slippery slope that it can get into when everything's kind of connected like that. Yeah, I have a feeling that this is an issue which we're going to be struggling with for a very, very long time as far as what the appropriate limits are and what boundaries need to be put in place. Mm-hmm. So going back to your career and your your journey in open source, are there any things that jump out to you that you wish you had known when you first got started that you know now? Um, any perspectives, any understanding, anything like that? You know, I think that happens every day um so it's, it's kind of hard now to think of something just off the top because every, every day you learn something new and um constantly writing new software and, and changing it it's like never call something new um <laughs> that's probably the best, yeah the best example is if you're making a new module don't call anything new like new new component um new list because it's it's not going to be new in, in a matter of months um, and then, so then you've got legacy new. Uh, you just have to rename it. Um, so I think just giving things like V1, V2, this is very clear about what it does. Y- using the word new in uh, in your code is is always a, a bad idea. Um, but yeah, I mean things are constantly constantly evolving. There's um, always new technologies. It's it's not about learning the technology. I think it's just like learning the thought process of how to write the software properly. And um, you know how just learning how the databases work, um, and then then they, those skills can be used anywhere. Um, you're not kind of locked into to, to anything. So that act- that answer actually kind of is the answer to the next question, which I was going to ask, which is uh, what advice is there that you would give to people who are wanting to get into open source and technology? Um, so the prior answer, we'll you know we'll just insert that here. But are there are there other things that kind of jump out to you that if you met someone who was younger who was interested that you would go, hey, here's some here's some key points that I've learned that they might help you out. I think just uh, do a lot of searching. Um, you know, search engines uh, have the answer. Someone has probably already um, answered the question that you're looking for. Um, Stack Overflow has hundreds of answers, and there's tons of code out there. Just um, yeah, just use it and, and try and try and get get things 
get things running. Um, just start playing around with things. And I think the easiest way to start learning how something works is to try and break it and then try and fix it. Um, and that is like definitely my experience has, has been as yeah, breaking things and then figuring out how, how, how you can fix it to make it, make it work. Um, even if it's just like get, getting a, an, app, an application up that's running, just changing a few, few lines in a random file what did it break? Um, is there anything that pops up in the logs? And then you can figure out, oh, well, that's what that does um, without having too much insight. So I think, oh, yeah, I think just poke around and start start tweaking things. I, I think definitely when I was first getting started, it was, is I think just like changing the Google homepage. You know, you could save the HTML file and then just, you know, change the logo and, and, and uh, put some new text in there and then, then put it back up and you're like, wow, I've changed Google. Um, it's, it, but you, you get the concept of what this is how HTML works, and that's how that's how these things are built. Um, and then just just go go from there. Even if you're not, you realize that you didn't really change Google. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mark, I think that's a great spot to end on. Um, thank you for taking the time to sit down with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's fun. <laughs>